0: Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Our text for our sermon is the gospel history according to the evangelist Mark, as recorded in chapter 14, verses 46 through 52. They laid hands on him and arrested him, but one of those who stood nearby drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest, and cut off his ear. Jesus responded by saying to them, have you come out with swords and clubs to capture me as you would a criminal? Day after day I was with you teaching in the temple courts and you did not arrest me. But this happened so that the scriptures may be fulfilled. Then the disciples all left and fled. A certain young man was following him wearing just a linen cloth over his naked body. They seized him, but he left behind the linen cloth and fled from them naked. This is the word of our Lord. During this year's Lent season, we have the overall theme, See the Shame of the Cross Through Our Shameless Eyes. America is a highly individualistic society, and sadly, we especially in modern days, don't think too much about our own personal shame. But a country, for example, like Japan, has the idea that if you shame yourself, you're shaming your family, you're shaming your ancestors, you're shaming your village. And in the example I'm going to use for tonight's sermon, I in no way am condoning, nor am I in any way approving of a horrible atrocity that happened. So Japan is, a high, is one of those very high uh, shame cultures. And during World War II, their culture not only defending the emperor and everything and divine wind that led to kamikaze, but because they are a very high shame culture, They had thought that if you should fight to the death, otherwise you're bringing shame even on your family. So when they entered into World War II, the country of England was busy fighting the Nazis, and they basically told all of their people around Japan and the countries they were invading, they said, just surrender. They were basically thinking, uh, after we're done with the Nazis, we can free up the ships and we can go get our people and all of that stuff. And figuring they would be treated humanely were they wrong. In fact, if you read the real story on, of the bridge over the River Kwai, you will find that the Japanese uh, soldiers figured these people must be the scum of the earth, lower than worms, that their own country would tell them to surrender rather than to fight with every last breath they had. And what they did to those POWs and the, in, in the life they gave them was an atrocity. But that is kind of along the idea, although not to that degree, of what we would think of with the disciples as we discuss the theme, besides see the shame of the cross with our shameless eyes. How could you do this to your friends? Look at how they fled. Jesus was supposed to fight. Remember, in the disciples' false understanding, in the average person of Judea at that time's false understanding, they thought Jesus was going to reestablish David's throne and and be a conqueror, to conquer the Roman Empire and free the Jewish people. And so as we look at that theme, how could you do this to your friends, we also want to notice something. The the disciples, in a way, seeing certain things wouldn't they at least have the right to expect, not just that Jesus, that Jesus didn't just surrender, but at least he do what he did in Nazareth three years earlier. Remember, Nazareth was his hometown. And when he visited the synagogue that he grew up in, they'd asked him to preach because he was already being recognized as a rabbi. And, and it was a scroll of Isaiah. And after he read it, he told them, today in your hearing, this prophecy is fulfilled. They got it, he was claiming to be the Messiah. Long story short, they end up, the crowd picks him up and, and starts heading towards a cliff they, outside of town. They were going to chuck him off of it. Now, if you've ever seen a mob of people start to mob on someone, you're going to find out that a person doesn't do what happened that day. They, they end up getting beat up pretty severely, if not killed by a mob of people. Instead, it wasn't his time and Jesus just turned around and walked right through the crowd. He used his deity. Shouldn't the disciples have at least expected the, no, you're not going to arrest me. We're done with this silly game. Or roughly about a year earlier in the temple, John, the apostle, records for us in chapter eight, verse 58 of his gospel, Jesus said to them, amen, amen. I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. Now let me pause there because if you don't know Hebrew, you're going to miss what they picked up on right away before we go to verse 59. Uh, The Hebrew word that we name for the Lord that we translate as capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D is from the Hebrew verb for being. And recall when the pre-incarnate Christ shows up in the burning bush to call Moses to lead his people out. When Moses says, who is it that I, who shall I say sent me? Uh, Jesus tells him, I am has sent you. So they got this by saying, I am, before Moses was born, I am, not only is he saying he existed before them, which would only be an attribute of of God or an angel, but he is calling himself God with that verb. So in verse 59, we're told, then they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus was hidden and left the temple area. So here again, Jesus doesn't fight, but like putting on an invisibility ring or an invisibility cloak, boom, he's just hidden and walks away. Instead, he surrenders, leaving his disciples out in the open? His disciples would have fought. In fact, we're told in Mark chapter 14, verses 46 through 47, they laid hands on him and arrested him. But one of those who stood nearby drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Now we hear from the other uh, gospels that that was Peter, but Peter proved he was ready to fight. In fact, he'd even said that earlier on that night. When they were celebrating the Passover meal in the upper room as recorded by John in his gospel in chapter 13, verses 33 through 38, we're told Jesus said, Dear children, I'm going to be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give you, love one another. Just as I have loved you, so also you are to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus replied, will you really lay down your life for me? Amen, amen, I tell you, the rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. Peter said it that night, I will lay down my life for you. And Peter proved he was willing to lay down his life for Jesus. Peter proves that he's not so good with the sword. As we were told in our text in Mark chapter 14, verse 47, but one of those who stood nearby drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. You're going to survive that. That's not a life or death thing, although you you would be disfigured because of it. Uh, Peter showed himself not to be too good with the sword. And he's the one, usually when the disciples have decision paralysis, not sure what to do, Peter's the guy who jumps into action. And boom, that night he does. Probably meant to try to cut off his head, hit the carotid artery. Uh, Any of those would have been pretty effective, but he hits the side of his head, lances off his ear. Oh yeah. Yeah. That night, at least Peter himself showed that Jesus' friends were ready to fight, but they weren't so good with the sword, were they? How could you do this to your friends? Doesn't it seem like Jesus let them down by just passively going? But you know, the scary thing is to think of what had happened if Jesus had left it there. We're told in Luke chapter 22, verse 51, but Jesus responded, stop, no more of this. Then he touched the servant's ear and healed him lest the other disciples jump in and they have a brawl where people get injured. No, Jesus was willing to go passively. But he heals the man's ear, and we can miss that in all of this, Peter himself would have been arrested, and he may have ended up on a cross next to Jesus. But Jesus healing, we know the high priest servant's name was Malchus, healing Malchus's ear, no harm, no foul. He's actually, we see, protecting his disciples. So as we look at that culture of shame and say, how could you do this to your friends? We see his friends were ready to fight. They weren't so good with the sword. This would not have turned out very well for them at all. Really, ultimately, Jesus didn't need them to fight. This was part of a bigger plan. Uh, We're told in John 18 verses 1 through 9, after saying these things, uh, Jesus went with his disciples across the Kidron Valley where there was a garden. He and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who was betraying him, also knew the place because Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas took the company of soldiers and some guards from the chief priests and the Pharisees and came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Jesus, knowing everything that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who are you looking for? Jesus the Nazarene, they replied. I am he, Jesus told them. Judas the betrayer was standing with them. When Jesus told them, I am he, they backed away and fell to the ground. Then Jesus asked them again, who are you looking for? Jesus the Nazarene. They said, I told you that I am he, Jesus replied. So if you're looking for me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the statement he had spoken. I did not lose any of those you have given me. When the England told their men to surrender, They were expecting their men to get fair treatment, but they told them that because they didn't have the equipment to get them out of there. All their stuff, all their ships and everything were tied up fighting the Nazis. But we see a totally different story here with Jesus, don't we? Once again, you hear that, I am, before Moses was, I am, I am he, Jesus says. And what happens? They step backwards and they fall backwards. Jesus gives them quite a glimpse right here. He could have used his godly power to stop all this. He could have driven them right to the ground just with the thought, just with the intention. He's allowing this to happen. But he has the power to protect his men. And again, when he says, so if you are looking for me, let these men go not to get bore you to tears with a grammar lesson, but in the Greek grammar, this is a simple, present, conditional sentence. And the apodosis that's the second half of the condition, is a command. And so we could translate this, since you are looking for me, you will let these men go. And he had just knocked those guards to the ground, letting them know. Jesus isn't betraying his friends. He's protecting his friends but he's doing so much more as he protects them. In John 13, verse 35, once again, back to the upper room an hour or two earlier, Jesus had said, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. As a side note, when churches are bickering and fighting, you've got backstabbing people demanding their way and not listening to anybody else. That is showing themselves to be disciples of the devil. And yes, it happens in every congregation. This is an act of love, a great act of love, the greatest act of love in history. He's actually not abandoning the disciples. He is drawing them closer into a different kind of love that he has for them. And somewhere between the upper room and the garden of Gethsemane that same night, uh, as John records in chapter 15, verse 13, we're told that Jesus said, no one has greater love than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus could have stopped his friends arrest, but he's going to do something. Knowing that Judas was going to betray him in all history before Judas was ever born, because he's true God, God, the father, God, the son, and God, the Holy Spirit. Knowing the Sanhedrin was not going to do as they were supposed to and say, there's the Messiah, we need to follow him, but instead plot his murder. Knowing how this was going to go down, they planned to use this as the way through which Jesus would be placed on the New Testament altar. And he protected his friends. But while protecting them, he also was going to the cross to save them. He was going to the cross so that they would have a more intimate relationship with him than just friends. On the cross, he would wash their sins away, purchase and win them into God's kingdom so that they would not just be friends. They would be adopted sons of God. In other words, they would be better than friends. They would be his brothers, as you and I are his brothers and sisters. He also wanted them to know that he had wanted them to get back to work because he knew, and, and let's admit it, if you're expecting a fight and then, uh, and, and then you're told, no, put away your sword, enough of this. Later, if you were confronted, even by a little 12 to 14 year old girl as Peter was in the courtyard of the, of the high priest's residence, Maybe you too would find that you weren't so so powerful as Peter was willing to be when he stepped forward with that sword. But we're told that just before predicting Peter's denial, as Matthew records in chapter 26, verses 31 through 32, then Jesus said to them, this night you will all fall away on account of me for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I've been raised, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Already reminding them again, he's gonna raise. Already reminding them again, you're supposed to meet me in Galilee. Remember when the, when the women come to the tomb, the angel even tells them to tell the guys you're supposed to meet him in Galilee, just like he told you. And this happens, Peter uh, goes fishing with several of the guys and, and Jesus uh, appears on the seashore uh, and, and he prepares some fish and John recognizes him. It's the savior and Peter just dives into the water, the man of action. Later during that day, Peter, uh, Jesus approaches Peter and three times says to him, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, basically, yes, affirmative. And he says, feed my sheep. You're forgiven, get back to work. Yes, they had abandoned their Lord that day, but it was not Jesus abandoning them. He allowed it to happen. He protected them and he was winning salvation for them. He redeemed them. He strengthened the bond. But what about you? Because he also redeemed you. Have you ever fled from your Lord in order to avoid persecution? Maybe like so many in middle school, if you're a middle schooler with... The pressures, the peer pressures, you just deny you're a Christian so you don't get picked on and bullied by the other kids. Maybe in high school, especially with all the sexual pressures as we are such a a society bent on lust, maybe you just forgot about that one covenant, that one commandment about keeping the marriage bed pure and cracked a few filthy jokes or told a few lies about your escapades or maybe, maybe that's not the case, maybe as an adult or even as a teenager, maybe you have uh, afraid Even though a co-worker at work needs to be told um, what you're doing is wrong and you know it. Oh, but by the way, you have a Savior who can make that right, who loves you. Instead of comforting them, we've we've kept our mouths shut just so we wouldn't get fired. Even with social media today, people are afraid to tell others the good news of salvation in Christ. Well, Jesus died for that sin too. He didn't spare his disciples. They face that. In fact, a young man that was following them in church tradition, which we can't prove, makes that out to be John Mark, the writer of Mark's gospel, uh, who flees naked. Jesus did not spare them any of those problems, and he won't spare us either. He says, who wants to follow him must deny himself and take up his cross and follow him. But he does protect us during these times. Number one, he's given us eternal life. So if they take our life, we're going straight to heaven. So the other way he does it is simply to protect us. Nope, you're not gonna hurt my little lamb. Either way, you win. Either way, God is protecting you. And the first Christian martyr, Stephen, he was one who, that's, it, that's happened is, it ended up being how God was gonna call him to heaven. He even got to see heaven opening up to receive him. And he testified to that as the Jewish people were stoning him. So, yeah. Jesus went to that cross to make us more than just friends, to make us God's children. He doesn't spare us the hardships of the world because they didn't like him. They're not gonna like us all the time. Other times, he, the Holy Spirit will use our message that they embrace it. And in the crudely Christian church, those who gave their lives often did not give their lives at all in vain because people were converted that day by the noble deaths that they died. Jesus died on the cross for our fleeing from him during those times of persecution, just as he died for the disciples, but he was protecting them too. And he has empowered us as he empowered them to testify by giving us a new person that's engrafted to him. He uses, and it's not that we want to fall into a sin so that we can get a blessing from God, that would be very the wrong way to look at that. But he actually used this to strengthen the Apostles Not a one of them ever denied their Lord again. In fact, all of them, but John died martyr's death. They had that option, deny the Lord and live, and they chose not to, not to deny their Lord. They stood strong and gave a powerful testimony that God is the God of life and had purchased in one eternal life for them and for everyone who trusts in him. And he's empowered us to share that message. Now, again, John lived to be over 100 years old, and he even ended up in exile because he would not deny the Lord in his 90s on the island of Patmos. Ultimately, for those disciples, well, we hear from Revelation, they ended up with 12 thrones in heaven, a glorious uh, glorious spot that God reserved for them. He made them more than just his friends. He was protecting them. England was kind of in a bad position when Japan entered World War II. They told their men to surrender, expecting them to be treated humanely. And unfortunately, that's exactly the opposite of what happened. Jesus protected his apostles. He, needed, he he'd planned for them to get back to work, planned for them to spread his word. See the shame of the cross with our shameless eyes as we ask, how could you do this for your friends? He was neither abandoning them or you. He was entering the greatest fight to win their souls and yours. The world can't see it. They see a man hanging naked on a cross, dying a shameful death. But this was the greatest protection he could give. It's eternal. He made them from being his friends and acquaintances to being sons of God and hence his brothers, just as he has done for you and I. Amen. Now... Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen.